This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly show, the Husker Online team will give you the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, baseball, and of course, recruiting. Now, here's your host, Husker Online publisher, Sean Callahan. Hello here and welcome again to another edition of the Husker Online show. As hope everybody had a really great holiday as 4th of July it's always one of the great times. We're that much closer, by the way. We're less than a month, guys, from the first Nebraska practice. Team reports August 1st. Practice one is August 2nd. So we are getting there, Robin, as Robin Washington and Nate Klaus join me here for the Husker Online Show. The end of summer always quickly approaches. And it's, you know, bittersweet because obviously I love football and I love football season and I love covering football and talking about football and doing all that stuff. But I also really summer. <laughs> enjoy summer and just being laid back. So it's 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 a trying time, and I'm going to enjoy these last few weeks for sure. Yeah, it's always it's kind of a it's hard to hard to kind of get through that because <laughs> you'd like to have a little bit of downtime, but but when you're talking downtime with football, it's it's usually not a not a great thing. Or there's there's other things that could be better uh, to having downtime with than than football. Yeah, exactly. So. We would actually have to work for a living. I mean, that, that yeah. could be a potential scenario. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that that would be bad. Um, but yeah, so it's yeah, it's going to be here before we know it. The, it always seems like the last couple of weeks of July just fly by, and then next thing you know, you got fall camp starting up. Well, and conference media days, I believe, start up in the SEC um, coming up here, and that's really the unofficial start of it. The Big Ten media days won't be until later in July, but um, it, it just it comes up so quick on you. And guys, one of the things I wanted to open up here as we kind of just look at big picture July topics because that's what July is about. It's about big picture looks of the team and the season I want to discuss captains for Nebraska I really think you're going to have a very interesting dynamic on this football team as you kind of start to look ahead where they go towards for the leadership mainly because on the senior class level there just aren't very many guys returning particularly on the offense in fact when I look at the offensive side of the ball I don't know if you're going to have one senior offensive captain let me read the names to you on scholarship. Christian Gaylord, Jerron Woodyard, Mike Williams, Kanani Noah, and that's it. Those are your only senior scholarship players. Wow. Now, um, White Mazur is a senior and not on yet for the fall. He could potentially be a guy to watch with his what he's meant to the program, but there just aren't any seniors on this team on paper. And, you know, Scott Frost came from an era of Nebraska football under Tom Osborne and Frank Solich where only seniors got to be captains. Well, that changed under Bill Callahan. We saw even under Bo Pelini, uh, I think Taylor Martinez was a captain as an underclassman. I think without a doubt, you're going to see that with Adrian Martinez. There's no doubt in my mind he will be a captain as a true sophomore, which the first time that's happened since... Don't know. Joe Daly. Oh. <laughs> oh. Boom! Elite company. <laughs> I mean... Nate was a part of that. I mean, that yeah. was a weird – when Joe Daly was named the captain, he never even had started a game. It was almost like Bill Callahan saying, we have to have our quarterback be the captain that year. Yeah, it was kind of that was kind of a forced deal. Pilkington was a sophomore captain that year, yeah, too. Yeah, and Pilkington, yeah. I mean, that was, it was just a strange dynamic all the way around with that team. Uh, boy, yeah. That, <laughs> yeah, just thinking back to that. Uh, you didn't know what you had. Like nobody knew anything about anybody. You know, I mean, you had coaches trying to figure out the roster. You had players trying to figure out the coaches. 
And, um, and, and I think that anytime you're, you're going through a transition, there's always, you want to play things a little safe. You don't want to, you don't want to ruffle too many feathers. And so you kind of let, uh, at times, at least you, you kind of let the players decide some of that stuff, uh, instead of maybe sending the wrong message right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we certainly saw that early on and uh, under Mike Riley with too. Tommy and, Armstrong. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, yeah, that was that was an interesting time, but I don't think I mean that will not be why Adrian Martinez is the, the a captain. This He's year. the leader of this football team yeah. as a true sophomore. Exactly. I mean, it's it's pretty remarkable with the type of person and, and leader uh, that he has become in such a short amount of time. And I mean, his his talent's undeniable, but to it's been a long. I feel like it's been a long time since we've had a quarterback at Nebraska where not only is he uh, a supreme talent, but that he's an actual leader like he's an actual like mature intelligent leader that that from day one i mean and it's not forced yeah that wasn't tommy that wasn't taylor martinez i mean really you go down the line maybe what joe gans joey gans yeah the last one but not at this age sure yeah i mean i don't i mean i don't know if there has been a guy yeah Yeah. it's been a long time if there ever has one to the level that adrian martinez is i mean you guys said he is the face of the program as a true sophomore I mean, that, I, that's a short list of guys that you could say Very that about short. in Nebraska football. And so uh, th- th- as far as the leadership as a whole, especially on offense, uh, while you don't have that senior leadership, there are younger guys that fully embrace that role and are perfectly capable of handling that. Just look at the junior class that they have. I mean, Farniak, Hymas on the offensive line, J.D. Spielman, Jack Stoll. I mean, they, they go down the list. There's, there's guys that I think are more than capable of being vocal leaders that can control a locker room just because of the dynamic of, of the roster. I mean, the fact that you don't have a lot of seniors to compete with where those guys are the veterans who have been as battle-tested as anyone on this roster that um, not only have earned that respect, but are capable of handling it and knowing how to be leaders, not just being thrown into that role and expected to just kind of figure it out as they go. And that's what makes this season interesting to me just because you know there's some material here and you know there's more coming in every year um, with what they're doing in recruiting and development of guys but this year you know it's just not there in the senior class there's only 24 total seniors on this roster and that counts walk-ons so you've got 150 guys on this team 126 are juniors and younger 24 are seniors so it is a extremely young locker room. Um, but after Martinez, I don't know what the next captain would be on offense. Would you go with a I mean, Spielman from a talent standpoint, but that's not his personality. No, I so mean, he is a quiet dude that I don't know if that's that's a role that he would naturally gravitate to. Do you go to a Missouri? Jack uh, Stoll, I think, is one. Maybe Stoll or Hymas. Yeah, one of those linemen. Yeah. Mike Williams hasn't done enough, in my opinion. No. Yeah, probably no. not. Farniak, I think, would be a good one. Yeah, but do you want to have one senior on offense? That's the debate, and that's where you know they're they're going to take Martinez to Big Ten media days. I think defensively, it's a little bit more. It's easier. You got Muhammad Barry. Yeah, yeah, and then insert one of the Davis, Davis twins. twins. Yeah, or both. I mean, or, who, or even both. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they might have. Maybe they have three defensive captains and one offensive captain. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be shocked to see that. Carlos Khalil, Muhammad Barry. I mean, even Lamar Jackson could yeah. could have some. Especially with the turn he took last year. Yep. I mean, 
there were a lot of guys that respected the way he handled that whole situation. And I mean, that's what it comes down to. It's not just how good you are, how long you've been a part of the program. Is do guys respect you? Uh, and so, I mean, uh, Damian Jackson. Do we mention him? Yeah. Anyway, so I mean, I mean, there's so many guys that I think you can point to. I can see defense. him being a captain when he's a senior, and he'll never. He's never played it down a significance. Yeah, I mean, because it comes down to that point of respect. I mean, every player in that locker room looks to Damian Jackson as a leader. I yeah. mean, he's the guy that drives the offseason. When he talks, people are going no to listen to No doubt. He's the guy that's sending texts to everybody and said, we went 4-8 and eight for a reason last year, and that's not happening again. Yep. I mean, he's the guy that's kind of pushing Muhammad Barry to be that guy. They I mean, better hire him at Nebraska oh, in some sort of strength room role. Oh. I mean, when he's he'd done, <laughs> if he wants, Robin's I mean, about to run through a wall oh, man, right now. I'm fired up. I'm fired up. <laughs> Him and Chris Walker. I mean, those two guys. Yeah, the, yeah. They've if they're not if they don't have like a internship at least or like a graduate assistant yes. role in the weight room immediately after their They'll careers are over. Scott yeah. Frost loves Damian oh, Jackson yeah, for sure. All right, so we're gonna agree on Martinez, Muhammad Barry, one if not both the Davises. Mm-hmm. Anybody else you want to throw out there? That you're gonna, we're going to go back and, and go back on this discussion as we wrap up this opening segment. Offensively, I mean, I'd probably roll with Hymas yeah, and Martinez. The only reason I say Farniak is because I remember just some Greg Austin stories. He's a little bit more vocal. Yeah, 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 that's that's the thing. I think he's more geared towards that take charge type role where Hymas is a lead by example type guy. But you know, again, I think from a talent standpoint, you would go Hymas. But Farniak, from a vocal leader standpoint, I think has the edge there. All right, we're going to get into the schedule next. As uh, We're going to spend two weeks doing this, uh, but I want to go over Nebraska's first six games, get some early realistic thoughts from both Robin and Nate. We'll go over that next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, as we are going to discuss those big picture July topics that we always love to discuss here on the Husker Online Show, mainly because it means we're getting closer to the season. I mean, we we love getting into this part of the summer because we are almost there, about a month away until fall camp starts. And guys, this is the first time we've done this on the show. I want to get into the schedule, roll the sleeves up, just start looking at it, early thoughts. And when I look at it, really to me, we're going to go over the first six games here on, the, on this segment. And when I look at these first six games for Nebraska, I think the first four really ultimately to me set the tone for the year. South Alabama, 11 a.m. ESPN following college game day. Week two at Colorado, a 2.30 Fox national kickoff game. Not FS1, not Fox Sports Network, the big three-letter network, Fox. So you're going to follow Lee Corso headgear week one. Week two, you're going to be in Boulder when it's going to be a Notre Dame 2000-type road traveling of people just taking over that place like the German army marching through Paris, planting their flag in the middle of, of Pearl, Pearl Street. I mean, it's going to be awesome. I'm a, like, how, how excited are you, first of all, Robin? We'll be there. I, I don't know if Nate and Greg are going to marry that up with a high school game in Denver or not. we got to figure that out still. But um, that is going to be – we've been to a lot of these takeovers. That's going to be the takeover. I love Colorado just in general. I love going – that was one of my favorite trips when Nebraska was in the Big 12. Uh, I mean, it's just uh, one of the most picturesque settings. And while the people there uh, make it a little tough to deal with, the scenery cannot be beat. And then when you add in the fact that it's been so long since Nebraska's been there, the level of excitement within the fan base to get back there, rekindle that rivalry a little bit. And, oh, by the way, Colorado just came to Lincoln and beat 
Nebraska, essentially in their first game. And so uh, there's you know a lot of uh, incentive there to ramp this thing up a little bit. And it's, it's on Fox. It's the national 2.30 window. Could be a Gus Johnson. I don't know what the Fox lineup is that yeah, day, but it could be the Gus Johnson game. Wouldn't surprise me if they're putting it on Fox. Yeah. I mean, that kind of is... Yeah, I would expect it to be Gus Johnson. But anyway, uh, I mean, this is going to be as ramped up of a non-conference game as we've had probably since the Oregon game from a few years ago uh, when Oregon came to Nebraska. And so, uh, yes, it's going to be really fun. That that Friday night before the game uh, down on Pearl Street, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of go big red chants and a lot of bar takeovers. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure Colorado fans are preparing themselves, arming themselves with uh, bags full of liquid and batteries and all that stuff. So. <laughs> I mean, I'm in the camp, Nate, that those people, it was so many years ago that this younger generation of Colorado fans, they have no idea about any of that stuff back in the mm. 80s and early 90s. I don't know, man. I don't think they have the same perspective, but I was just talking a couple of weeks ago in, in Atlanta um, at, the, uh, at the convention. I was talking with somebody that, that was running the, the Colorado site, and he's like, He's like, man, I was not around Colorado when Nebraska and the Buffs were were you know going head to head and had so much hate. But he's like, Colorado fans hate Nebraska. Yeah. I don't think that goes away. No, it well, and that's what he was telling me. He's like, he's like, the hatred there is intense, mm-hmm. and he's like, that, that really caught me off guard last year. Uh, just just how you know how full of hate Colorado fans were for Nebraska, and he's like. And he goes, and I got the feeling that that uh, you know maybe Nebraska didn't quite view Colorado as as their yeah, Tom as, Osborne didn't. Well, Bill yeah. McCarney <laughs> was the one that ramped that thing up exactly, and 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 we got to talking, and, and I said, well, you know, I think after last year with the way you know with, with what happened on the field, uh, especially with like Taylor Martinez, and and then you know afterwards with the the celebration with the players mm-hmm. and what what some of the you know coaches and players acted like they just won the Super Bowl when they beat <laughs> Nebraska in Memorial Stadium, I, I think that that gap with Nebraska at least maybe closed a little bit. So. And then we're, we're seeing and hearing about all these people that are going to be taking over yeah. Folsom Field. Well, then you add in how important this game is for Nebraska. Like mm-hmm. Sean said, these first four games Absolutely. dictate the season. And this is by far, without question, your biggest game of September. And so, I mean, to go on the road and win that game, all of a sudden momentum is rolling for your season, going into a very favorable Big Ten schedule where all your hard games outside of, you know, maybe Minnesota and uh, Purdue – are at home. And so, I mean, th- that is really the kickstart that we're, if this thing is going to go the way we all think it can go, it starts in Boulder, Colorado. And if they can win that game, all of a sudden everything shapes up very, very well. And I do like that it's week two, so they at least get um, an entire week yeah. to study Mel Tucker. Yep. Because that's tough. You know, you play a new coach week one, uh, you just don't want to put a game like that week one. Then in week three, you play the defending MAC champions coming to Lincoln. That's a night game, Northern Illinois. Uh, but they have an entirely new coaching staff. Thomas Hammock is the head coach. Um, South Dakota State's OC. He's the OC there now, Nate. Did yeah, you know that? Yeah, I did know that. Eric. Uh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the name. But, but we met him at camp here, yep. but he was a great mind at, at SDSU. Um, that will be a team it, that brings a lot back. Exactly. They bring, like, everybody back, I feel like. They, like 16, 17 guys yep. that, you know, the running backs, the quarterbacks, and – 
you know, new staff, but a team that has won a lot of games. I mean, that that game almost worries me as much as any, just because of where it sits in the schedule. Well, yeah, especially coming off the emotion of that Colorado game, and we've seen it. <laughs> Northern Illinois has done it before, yeah. and so but they, that's the thing, though. I mean, I don't think a Scott Frost team is as susceptible to those ups and downs as maybe uh, previous teams at Nebraska, and so you, would, I mean, at least that's what you would hope, uh, but. You know, again, that is a game that Nebraska cannot take lightly, especially, you know, with that potential trap situation coming off Colorado and then entering Big Ten play the next week. And then you got Illinois the next week on the road. That's a really, to me, your opening game of the conference, you kind of want it to be a game like this. And Nebraska's playing, theoretically, one of the two to three worst teams in yeah. the conference on the road. I like that it's on the road. Oh, yeah. we Well, we get a good pizza. Well, no, I'm just saying, pop- for, oh. for, for Nebraska's sake, <laughs> the fact that, you know... We it's talk all about, about our food, though, Yes, too. exactly. Well, that, that goes without Papa saying. Papa Dell's. You, yes. You, you talk about the uh, lack of motivation. I mean, going on the road, I think, is a great way to kind of rally the troops together, you know, the us against the world whole, that whole shtick. Uh, and so, I mean, talk, playing the worst team in the Big Ten, I think the consensus worst team in the Big Ten... To play it on the road, I think, helps eliminate some of that potential motivational drop-off as it was if they were to come to, to Lincoln. I'll never forget when they lost that game there, and Alex Lewis was like double-barrel flipping off like yeah. people and really mad. Oh, yeah. That was a, an, a weird trip to Champaign. Uh, that dude was a weird dude. <laughs> no comment. Um, all right, Nate, Ohio State, that's the game. I mean, that, yep. we don't know what time it's going to be. But that could theoretically, and we're getting way far ahead of ourselves, yeah. which we'd like to do, be the first time College Dame Day makes a return trip to Lincoln since 2007. Yeah, it's the best opportunity that Nebraska has to, to have game day in Lincoln, in my opinion. Since USC? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah I mean, sh- that's pretty incredible. That's like you first started about. dating your wife. I mean, yeah, basically. Uh, boy, yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, but I think you're getting Ohio State at, at the right time. You'd rather. Face them at the beginning of your Big Ten slate than at the end, I believe, with with the new staff and with Ryan Day, yeah. you know, kind of trying to get his feet wet. And I'll tell you this, I mean, I've talked with some people. We talked with our colleague Kevin Noon, and uh, I, I talked with him about this game, and he said, he goes, that's the game that worries me on the front end of Ohio State's schedule. And he goes, and I, I tell you this much, Ohio State's coaches have that game uh, earmarks too because the, they're very very nervous about going on the road um, early on and you know playing Martinez Martinez is probably the best opposing quarterback that they faced all of last year uh, mm-hmm. from what noon was telling me I mean they've got a lot of respect for Nebraska for Frost and and they're rolling in kind of with you know little green with Ryan Day and then obviously five with, new assistant coaches yeah and, and with with fields new quarterback yeah, yeah. I mean it, so I think that's this is a real Fields I mean, runs a legit four four. I was told that at our convention. Yeah. Like he is a legit four four dude. I mean, he's a freak. I mean, he's yeah. just like Martinez. I mean, that, yeah. that's probably the best way to compare him. And Ohio State won Martinez at one time. Yes, they did. Yep. But if that game is at night, and then especially if you even add in all the game day hoopla, I mean, that oh. is going to be a special environment in Memorial Stadium where. Especially if Nebraska's undefeated. Similar to like when Miami came here a few years ago or, you know, yeah. one of those atmospheres where it is electric. If that leads to a 5-0 and start for Nebraska, can you – I mean, I just got goosebumps thinking about what it's going to be like around know. this place because we haven't had that. It's been a long time. Well, Mike Riley had that fool's gold 7-0 and start. Well, we all saw through that. I yeah. mean, it was one of those where they just kind of got by. But if <laughs> They it, had like the 23-play drive to beat Illinois yes, where they didn't have yes. a play longer than six yards. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah, it was a lot of smoke and mirrors with that seven and zero. But this was, I mean, 
if Nebraska's undefeated, I mean, that's some legitimate teams that they've had to face and, and beat. Then you got Northwestern the following week. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you, you play the two teams that played for the Big Ten Championship in back-to-back games, games five, game six. No bye game. You don't have a bye week. Um, the bye week won't come until October 19th for Nebraska and then November 9th. It's a two-bye year based on the way the Saturdays fall on the calendar. I think it's a two-bye year for two two uh, seasons in a row. That's but awesome. should be good. But, yeah. For a staff that hasn't had a bye week in three years. I could just do the whole 45-minute show, guys, on the schedule of the first six oh, games. Yeah. But yeah. we got to cut it down. Uh, we gotta we got to go to break here. Right. And <laughs> when we come back, we're going to shift over to our ranking, the Big Ten. Robin Washett and I went through ranked – the entire Big Ten by position by position on offense. We're going to go through our first half of that next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus as want to take this time now to, to look at the Big Ten conference overall and look at the top players coming back in the league I think it's been about 15 years now, Robin, um, myself and you, we've done this ranking the Big 12, which has turned into ranking the Big mm-hmm. 10 series. And it's kind of our preseason magazine. We like to show Husker fans, first we go through the schedule and kind of look at the teams and we try to do a real deep dive into the opponents at a level that a Husker fan is going to care about. Then we do a ranking the Big 10 uh, where we look at the top players coming back in the conference to kind of give you an idea who's got players coming back, where does Nebraska sit, and maybe where does Nebraska have some big holes compared mm-hmm. to the rest of the conference. And started out with quarterback, and you and I both agreed. We went Adrian Martinez, number one, then Shea Patterson from Michigan, number two. We got a little flack for this, but you know we just believe that Justin Fields, with the system of Ohio State, the quarterback history that they've had there, um, and where he was ranked, a five-star, number one or two in the country at his position, uh, as our third, Nate Stanley at Iowa, who's looked at as a legitimate NFL-type draft guy because of the system he plays in the Kirk Ferentz is our four. And then we also went another transfer, Hunter Johnson, a former five-star who was also a backup at Clemson to Trevor Lawrence, um, will be Northwestern's quarterback. And I've seen him, Nate's seen him in person. He's in a phenomenal, phenomenal guy that could be as good of a quarterback as Northwestern's ever had. But it's a good year in the league, but we both – I mean – we, we're not wearing red glasses. We both think Martinez is the best guy right now. Yeah, some people accuse us of being a little homerish on that pick. Uh, but ask any other media member, coach in the Big Ten, and they will tell you they are generally nervous, genuinely nervous about Adrian Martinez. He is, in my opinion, it's the number one quarterback in the Big Ten, and I don't think it's all that close. I mean, you can make a case for Shea Patterson, uh, but – I think from a a ceiling and what he showed last year in his first season as a true freshman, uh, the sky is the limit for Adrian Martinez. And Scott Frost has even gone on record saying he's the best quarterback in all of college football. He said the guy from Clemson's pretty good, but I think I'll take our guy any day of the week. And I don't blame him. Adrian Martinez, as we talked about from the on the field, is as good as it gets from a dual threat quarterback. He's big, he's strong, he can run, he can throw on a dime. He's got that just instinct to know where to put the ball and, where, and what time to throw it. Uh, but more importantly, he's a true sophomore, and we're just talking about him being the clear-cut captain. If of we, this team. If we knew what we knew now, Nate, after the year one, does Nebraska get Adrian Martinez? I don't I mean, what do you mean? Like the the 
if everybody knew everybody he was going to be how oh, good he oh, was. Oh, if everyone across the country? No. I don't, I, I don't that's think That's what I'm so. saying. I mean, he's, no. yeah, someone it, on the West Coast is trying to get him. Well, yeah. Someone on the West Coast is trying to get him. Oklahoma is probably trying to get a guy like that. Ohio State's recruiting oh, him harder. Ohio State's going harder after him. Uh, Tennessee would probably work harder to hold on to him. Alabama. Alabama. I mean, Tennessee's yeah. just got to be kicking themselves. Well, right yeah. yeah. That's, yeah, they got to be really kicking themselves. But I, what I don't get is, is how a lot of these publications, a lot of the magazines have Justin Fields number yeah. one. And he's not done anything in the Big Ten. Yeah, we caught flack for making him third overall. And, okay, I can listen to Nate Stanley being third just because his numbers are really, really good. Iowa's offense obviously just kind of tossed under the rug a little bit. But, I mean, he's thrown 52 touchdowns He's going to be like the record quarterback at Iowa. He threw 26 TDs last year, which um, ranked 20 – yeah, ranked 22nd nationally. And so, I mean, he's uh, as productive of a returning starting quarterback as there is in the league. So I can listen to that. Uh, and Hunter Johnson, we're basing it all on potential. I mean, he really hasn't done much of anything at the collegiate level, but he was a five-star. He was the number two quarterback in the 2017 class. And so you would assume, just like we're assuming with Justin Fields, he's going to be good. And until we're proven otherwise, you got to include him in that discussion. You've, yeah. you've seen Hunter Johnson. I've Nate. seen Hunter Johnson. He's good. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's real good. So, I mean, he was a five-star for a reason. Um, I, but when I look at what I know about, like, a guy like Adrian Martinez right now, I think Adrian's a, a yeah. much better no doubt. collegiate player than Hunter Johnson. Like, I think Adrian will be more of an NFL guy than Hunter Johnson. Adrian, Adrian Martinez is a Heisman Trophy candidate yeah. preseason. I mean, none of those guys on the list. Maybe Justin Fields. Justin, I know, yeah, I think he's, he's got thrown the third best odds or something. But I, like I don't that. think Shea Patterson's being really mentioned in that discussion. Uh, and so, I mean, no. it, yeah, everyone else. I mean, this is not rose-colored glasses. This is a national consensus that Adrian Martinez is not only one of the best co- quarterbacks in the Big Ten Conference, but one of the best in all college football. All right, let's move on to running back, Robin. And I, I think this might be the deepest position in the conference. When you look at what comes back, Jonathan Taylor's back for his 27th year at Wisconsin. <laughs> Uh, I mean, he, he's had back-to-back almost 2,000 years every year. Um, I mean, incredible stats uh, with, with what he's done. J.K. Dobbins is back again at Ohio State, back-to-back 1,000-yard years. Now, he did have a down year last year in terms of numbers. He was only 4.6 yards per carry. As a freshman, he was 7.2. And a lot of that had to do with the quarterback change when he didn't have J.T. Barrett um, in the backfield. Um, to, to really kind of take the pressure off of him. A mm-hmm. lot of teams, I think, teed off. But then you've got Anthony McFarland at Maryland um, who went for t- over 250 or 298 yards against Ohio State. He might State. be one of the best players in the Big Ten nobody knows about. Like they're saying he might be the highest, he might be the highest draft yeah. pick prospect. Yeah, that's what I've been hearing is that, that McFarland – is like it probably has just as good a NFL potential yeah. as anybody in the league. He ran for 298 against Ohio State. Well, then they've got another running back that's going to complement him, um, a kind of a more power back. So they've got two good backs. But Reggie Corbin, man, at yeah. Illinois. He gave Nebraska problems. Oh, my God. Yes, he did. Dude, he averaged 8.5 yards per carry that's last nuts. year on a crap team. <laughs> he was their only offense. Him and A.J. Bush doing quarterback draws was Illinois' offense. <laughs> Lovey Smith is like, yeah, we're not running a pro system with these. No. But but Corbin's a legitimate running back. I mean, he's he's a big time back. And yeah, without who knows where they'd be without Corbin last year. But uh, first yeah. thousand yard back in Illinois since 2010. Yeah, that's that's that makes you uh, you know it kind of spells out where their program's been because <laughs> they've been like, they've been throwing the football very well. No, exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's their first. I mean, that was Nebraska was in the Big Twelve the last time they had a thousand yard back, and then. You know, Muhammad Ibrahim from uh, Minnesota, 1,000-yard back a year ago, 
Then Shannon Brooks and Rodney Smith come back for their fifth and sixth years of eligibility. Those guys have 4,000 yards and 40 touchdowns. And then they have Bryce Williams, a freshman, that went for 500 yards last year. So Minnesota's got a loaded backfield. Ibrahim is the starter, but there's like three starters returning in that backfield. Yeah, that's why it was kind of hard to, to put just one of those Minnesota backs because, I mean, that is as deep of a running back group as there is in the Big Ten and maybe – If in, Brooks and Smith are healthy. That's the thing. But, I mean, yeah. even even so, you're talking about your second and third running backs right there. So yeah, As far as production goes, who's better? Exactly. And so, I mean, yeah, Bryce Williams, I mean, he ran for 500 yards last year as essentially their, their second string back. So uh, we picked Ibrahim just because he's kind of the, the number one on the depth chart, so to speak. But that is going to be a very crowded running back group that um, may – decrease the amount of total stats those guys put up just just because of the volume of running backs they have. All right, we're going to fly through receivers here. Rondell Moore, Purdue, number one. I mean, he's an All-American. Tyler Johnson, though, not too yeah. far behind him. He was first team All-Big Ten a year ago. So you basically got the two top receivers returning as far as first team All-League goes. Um, he was a thousand-yard back, that a receiver that chose to come back. J.D. Spillman, we have number three. Uh, fell short of a thousand because of injuries last year, but definitely would have had a thousand if not for the ankle injury. Yeah, he missed two games. KJ Hill, Ohio State, number one. Um, he'll be the Buckeyes' top target. Um, he's a very talented player. And then you know maybe we could have Donovan Peoples Jones over him, uh, but he will be Michigan's guy, a five-star, former number one type ranked receiver. Um, had 47 catches for 6, 12, and 8 touchdowns. One of the better red zone guys in the conference. Yeah, and so Rondell Moore was obvious. We don't really need to spend any more time talking about him. He's one of the most electric players in the country. But Tyler Johnson was a very close call. God, he's, he's so I mean, good. He is maybe the best NFL player in the Big Ten as far as the receiver goes. And so that was, I mean, you put him at two, but he could probably be 1B behind Rondell Moore's 1A. And then J.D., again, I mean, he's Nebraska's go-to guy. I think he's going to have, assuming he stays healthy, a huge season statistically, uh, especially if some other receivers can help take some of the pressure off of him. K.J. Hill is going to be Iowa State, or Ohio State's uh, number one guy, and I think by default that leads to a big season. And Donovan Peoples-Jones really hasn't turned it on the way most people expected when he came in, but he is going to be their dude. And I think that by default, this is his opportunity to finally live up to that five-star ranking when he came in as the number one receiver in the country in 2017. Well, he's he showed flashes as a returner, too, yeah. just what kind of athlete. All Big Ten. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, he's, yeah, he's a pretty dynamic athlete, and, and we could look back at this list, I think, at the end of the season, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if Peoples-Jones is right near the top, yeah. too. That's but, yeah, really deep. And when you, when you think Big Ten, you don't necessarily think wide receivers. but They're loaded. Yeah, this Michigan is a runs a players. system, though, that doesn't have a lot of plays on offense. So, naturally, Michigan's stats are always lower, I yeah, think. Yeah, exactly. They, and they, they just grind it out. I mean, the, the time of possession is really on their side. So, I mean, they don't run a lot of plays, like you said. So, the opportunity to get the same type of catch numbers as a Rondale or even a J.D., isn't there for Donovan, which I think hurts his overall stock. All right, when we come back, we'll continue the offensive discussion. We're going to talk tight end and offensive line next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show, continuing our look at the Big Ten's best players on offense heading into 2019. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, Robin Washed, and... We've gone through quarterback, running back, receiver, all the fun ones. Now we got to get down to where the Big Ten players make all their money in the league. Uh, as we saw that last year with tight end, uh, three tight ends drafted, I think, from the Big Ten Conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've had multiple first-round draft pick tight ends. Uh, last year, Iowa had two. Uh, Michigan had uh, Jake Butt. Was that his name? Yep. A couple 
pretty good player. Old jig book. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we're very immature on this program, but uh, um, looking at tight end this year, Robin, just based on the guys we came up with, it's a re- it's a rebuilding year at the position. Yeah, it's wide open. Um, Pat Fryer is it Fryermuth? Fryermuth um, from Penn State's the top one coming back on our ranking list. Had a number of touchdowns last year. Second, eight. he was second nationally for tight ends with eight touchdowns. So 26 catches for 368, 14 went for 15 yards or more. Of those 26, eight went for touchdowns. He's kind of the main name, but Bryson Hopkins from Purdue, um, Brad Hopkins' son, a former NFL offensive lineman from Illinois, um, he's going to be a guy I think that has a big year too at Purdue. Yeah, I mean, 34 catches. He was one of their primary targets after Rondale Moore. And so I think just by default, he's kind of one of those guys that benefits from all that stuff that Purdue's got going on with their backfield and their slot position that uh, that garner a lot of attention. So he gets a lot of favorable matchups with one-on-one coverage against linebackers, and he's good enough to take advantage to where now he's looking at it as, as a legitimate NFL draft pick that will probably add to that list of, of Big Ten NFL players. And Nate, Jake Ferguson, Wisconsin, was our third, um, and you got to know him a little bit. His dad played at Nebraska, but he's Barry Alvarez's grandson. Um, that was kind of a battle. Nebraska was never going to win, but he's turned into a really good player. He's 6'5", 247 going into his sophomore year at Wisconsin. Yeah, he's really filled out, first of all. I mean, when he was a recruit coming out, he was barely over 200 pounds. Uh, but yeah, I was able to get a, get to know him a little bit. He, he at least gave Nebraska a little bit of a shot. He, he visited a handful of times and, and was at a spring game, came to at least one game that I can recall. So uh, but, yeah, he's turned into a really good player. I, I think that it was always kind of a foregone conclusion that he was going to go to Wisconsin. Um, but he's And he's done that, and he's done very well so far. And then we got a little flack from this because Jack Stahl, we put number four from Nebraska because he really is one of the more productive tight ends returning in the conference. Um, but, heck, you know, he may not be Nebraska's best tight end next year, know. Nate. Things changed a little bit since we wrote that. Yeah, with Travis Vokalek, if, if he somehow gets his waiver this year, um, he you could probably – Put Vokalek in Did this, he get the waiver yet or not yet? I don't think he's got it yet. Uh, but They're expecting know. him to get it. Well, yeah, we'll see what happens. I, I think they're they're going to at least make their case, and then who knows what's going to happen. But well, Especially with the NCAA changing their – or tightening their policies on yeah. immediate eligibility waivers. Yeah, we'll see what happens. But if he did get the waiver um, – I think you could make a case that Vokalek certainly belongs on here. He had better he had better numbers than Stoll did last year. Uh, you know, as on a, a putrid offense. Yeah, at an absolutely terrible <laughs> offense. I mean, he. I, I, I'm trying to recall his numbers right now, but he was basically he had only had like 18 or 16 catches last year. But he and that was he, like 40 percent of their passing. It was 40 per, production. Yes, <laughs> and he was tied for the lead in touchdown uh, receptions on the team. And so, yeah, their their quarterback situation, their offense in general was absolutely terrible at Rutgers. But you look at Travis Volkolek, holy cow! I mean, he's. He's a specimen. When I saw him at the Friday Night Lights camp, I said, God, who's this former NFL guy watching yeah. the camp? And I'm like, oh, that's Travis. Nebraska's new sophomore tight end. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, sophomore. He's, a, he's massive. He's legit 6'6", 250 pounds, um, and about as good-looking physical you know, tight end as you're going to see. So, um, And now I understand why some of the coaches were jumping on a table for this guy. Yep. Because he's better looking than all the tight ends Nebraska has right now. Yeah, the, Nebraska doesn't have a tight end that looks like him. And so um, while it's a deep room, 
it's still largely unproven. And if you could add a guy like that out of the transfer portal who, you know, you know doesn't have any type of baggage or anything like that and is super athletic and could possibly help you right away, that made, it made all the sense in the world to, to go ahead and add him. And then lastly, Maryland added Tyler Mayberry, a uh, transfer from Buffalo. Um, he was first team All-Mac. So some potential in this tight end group, but definitely, um, you know, a lot of questions as Nebraska, as the league is replacing several, but Robin, let's. I'm just going to kind of lump offensive line into one here because there's so many groupings to go to. Um, as you as as we look at center, um, shocker, Wisconsin has the number one center in the conference. Mm-hmm. But I feel like they have the top guys every year. But Michigan uh, number two, Cesar Ruiz, 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 Ruiz. God, I said that wrong three times. <laughs> <laughs> really tried to roll my R there, and I screwed that up even worse. But um, Penn State, Michael Minnett, number three. Um, Michael Maedi, Rutgers, four. And then Matt Allen, Michigan State, five. No Nebraska centers. Not a surprise because right. the breaking. We don't even know who the starter is. We don't even know who the starter is <laughs> going to be at this point. Um, going through the guard positions here. Um, and this was an area, once again, no, no Nebraska guys, right, uh, right, on the guard list. But um, Ben Brenderson, Michigan, one. Steven Gonzalez, Penn State, two. Michigan's got the third guard in the league, Michael Onwenu. Onwenu, three. Brandon Bowen, Ohio State, four. And then Jonah Jackson, Ohio State. He was a transfer from Rutgers. Um, So some pretty good guards in this league, a lot of NFL talent, no Nebraska guys. And then the tackle position, always a strong position in the conference. A lot of Iowa on that. Alaric Jackson, Iowa, number one. He's a projected first-round NFL draft pick. John Runyon, Michigan, two. Um, he's a high NFL guy. Cole Van Lannon, Wisconsin, probably another NFL guy from down the road. Thayer Munford, Ohio State, number four. And then we went with Iowa's other tackle, Tristan Wirfs, as the fifth. So no Nebraska guys in that grouping. And not a huge surprise. I think Brendan Hymas was the only one maybe you could make a case for. Right. And so, yeah, the tackles were by far the, the strength of Nebraska's offensive line, which coincidentally is the strength of the Big Ten offensive line group. I mean, the, the level of talent at the tackle position in the Big Ten this year is unreal, where Tristan Wirfs is your fifth guy, and I would easily make a case to make him much higher on that list, even up to second, or maybe even first. Some people at Iowa think he's better than Alaric Jackson, so it is a total toss-up, and uh, it was hard to... You know, especially considering just some of the struggles Nebraska had early last year on the offensive line to put Hymas or even Farniak in that discussion right now. And the hope is that that changes to where, uh, you know, when those guys are going into their senior years, they're very much in that discussion and on that list. But uh, right now, there's just so many questions across Nebraska's offensive line that we just couldn't bring ourselves to vote them amongst the top five at each position. Yeah, I mean, Iowa has... I mean, what they've done with their offensive line here as of late uh, has been pretty impressive. And then to go ahead and have two of the top five offensive tackles, uh, you know, is is pretty remarkable. And I agree with you. I, I think that you can make a case to have worse much higher than that. Yeah. But uh, but the, the overall depth is just ridiculous. And. Uh, not to get too off topic here, but did you did you guys see that that video of Worf's like cleaning 475 pounds like 15 times? No, yeah, I mean it was ridiculous. God. I mean this unreal. Is, yeah, um, where's he from, Nate? 
Uh, he, he's from Iowa, if I re- if I remember correctly. God, he now, looks massive. Now, Al- Alaric Jackson is from Michigan, and it came down to... Farniak and him, right? Yeah, well, yeah, basically. It came down to... Uh, I mean, he was choosing between Michigan State, Nebraska, Iowa, and then it was kind of Iowa, Nebraska, and it was, you know, was going to be between uh, basically Nebraska battle for him and uh, Farniak. And, uh, yeah, Jackson ended up going to Iowa. And, you know, so that was a guy. Who, I have so much respect for what they do with their line recruiting. I mean, it's yeah. just incredible. Like, none of these guys are high profile, really. No, no, not really. I mean, Alec Jackson, I mean, was a middle three. Yeah, I mean, he was a high three. But I mean, none of these guys were, you know, they never get a five-star offensive line or anything like well, that. Well, and the ones they got were like Dan Doring and Blake Larson. Yeah, you know, they were five, and they, were, and they, and they busted. Kind of busted. Yeah, up, yeah. And so they, they, they do don't... a great job of developing offensive linemen. That's for sure. And you know that's what I mean? Nebraska is trying to get to. You know, and with the six, 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 seven, six, eight kids they're recruiting that all weigh about two sixty ish, two seventy ish. They're trying to get to it where we don't have to rush guys on the field. Let's let's put them in there one by one. To get them into the the you know, there's a process. Iowa's got a process, yeah. obviously, of, of for twenty years. Yeah, of what they like to recruit, and and then you know once they get in the program, you know the the progression. So a pipeline, yeah. so to speak. Oh, I've never heard. <laughs> that. I've never heard that before. All right. Well, hey, when we come back, we're going to get a big picture look at Nebraska's offensive recruiting board with Nate Klaus as we close the show. You're listening here to the Husker Line Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of this week's Husker Online show. I hope everyone had a good 4th of July weekend as uh, we are winding down, getting closer to summer. I wanted to take this time to talk some offensive recruiting. Uh, but before that, I, I wanted to just make a bolt announcement here. If, you are, if you're a big fan of the Husker Online show and you're interested in and just being a part of the show, we are looking for sponsors for this upcoming season. We are the number one most listened to regular Nebraska football podcast out there. Um, and we'd love to get a chance to promote your business here on the Husker Online Show. So if you are interested in being a part of the Husker Online Show, drop me an email at Sean, S-E-A-N, at HuskerOnline.com. And we could talk about letting you be a part of the show as we'd love to get the chance to uh, promote your business here this upcoming season, uh, but Nate, um, let, let's look at let's look at things here, Nate, as as we, as we kind of delve into the recruiting board for offense, and you know things are pretty light right now. Um, you know it's going to pick up. We know it's going to pick up, but they've got their quarterback, Logan Smothers. Yeah, they've got two really really good offensive linemen guys that fit what they're trying to do, and Turner Corcoran, and then Alex Kahn. Um, but as you look at it. How many running backs? One running back right now? I think one for sure. Uh, I could see them taking two, depending on you know what happens with uh, um, you know how Ronald Tompkins is you know wh- how are his knees holding up? You know what's what's the story with John Bivens? Does he does he actually make it and, and get on campus? Is there something going on there? I mean, like the the, the blue shirt or great whatever yeah. they're calling that well, thing with yeah. him. I mean, I fully assuming that that he's you know kind of. His academic situation is all taken care of. I, I fully expect him to be on campus in August. I don't know if it's going to be a situation where he's going through fall camp right away or if it's going to be a deal where he joins the team as soon as the season starts. But 
I fully, you know, if he if he's qualified, I fully expect him to be in Lincoln, and so that would essentially give you know Nebraska another quarterback in la- or another running back in last year's class. So it would probably take maybe uh, a need away uh, for from this year's making making them only needing one quarterback or one running back in this class. So I think that's kind of up in the air. But there's a number of guys that that they're in on. And Maurice Washington's long term future. That, yeah, I mean, that too. You, you just don't. I mean, come on, we just don't know yet. It's just too many unknown variables there. Um, and if you can get him for two or three more years in this program, the running back position looks a lot different. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, so yeah, there's just a lot of a lot of unknowns there. I, I could see them going with one running back. I could see them going, you know, with, with two for sure. And maybe even, shoot, depending on what happens, maybe even a third if, if they all kind of have a different skill set or, or maybe you throw in – um, the duck R type of guy who's more of a, you know, more of a Wandell Robinson like receiver, but could also take snaps out of the backfield. So, uh, but they, I mean, they've, they're in on some really good players. Sevion Morrison out of Oklahoma had a really good official visit a couple weeks ago. Uh, Marvin Scott out of Florida had a really good official in mid June. And, um, you know, uh, Jordan Simmons out of, out of Georgia is visiting here at the end of the dead period. And so, uh, I mean, those are three top-notch, top-notch, high-quality running backs right there that that have either been on campus already or or that are coming. And and there's probably another at least three or four or five uh, that I think Nebraska is really in on right now. So so that's a position that's looking pretty good. Wide receiver, you know, they 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 graduate three guys at the end of this year, um, you know, and I think they need to bring in at least three, maybe even four, depending on you know what the what the outlook looks. So does Dominic Watt have an offer yet from Nebraska? No. But he want. I mean, is the mutual interest on both sides? To a is Nebraska want him back, or did I mean, did they invite him to come up to the camp? And so yeah, I mean, the the door is open for him to to come back up to camp and to work out and everything. Now there's conflicting reports on if he has the offer or not. And and rather than saying yes, he has an offer, or no, he doesn't. I'll just say. I don't believe he has a committable offer right now. Uh, I think if, if he tried to commit to Nebraska right now, they would probably tell him, okay, well, let's we're going to wait uh, right at this point in time. I, I think that when you look at a guy like Omar Manning uh, out of Kilgore College that was – that was up, um, you know, for that second Friday Night Lights weekend for the, or for the the Big Red Barbecue, his official visit. Uh, you know, he's more of a big-bodied wide receiver that that they're trying to add in this class. Obviously, um, you know, and I think that he's probably higher on the board than Dominic Watt at this point in time. Um, you know, and then you, you want to stay with uh, the big body theme. You know, the Ajo Ajo out of uh, out of Clearwater Academy International High School there down in Florida, but he's originally from Canada. Um, you know, this is kind of at all of a sudden, at least at the time for the time being, is turned into a Nebraska Clemson battle for him. Uh, you know, he's a legit 6'3", 215 pounds with an 83-inch wingspan. I mean, just freaky measurables for him. Uh, so he would fit that mold as a, as a big-bodied wide receiver too. So I think, you know, Dominic Watt is still there. But I don't know if Nebraska is necessarily, you know, pushing hard for a commitment at this point in time. I think they're kind of keeping an eye. Yeah, on Yeah, they're it. just kind of keeping it warm, keeping him warm, see what happens this year, because you have to remember he's playing in a different offense this year. So we're going to see a different Dominic Watt than what we saw last year. At he Garden looked good city. at camp, though. He did look really good at camp. Um, but last year at Garden City, I mean, shoot, I think he caught 16 passes all year long. Uh, because you had uh, Diedrich Mills and um, 
Charles West, who were basically between the two of those guys, they were getting 60 plus carries a game. And a massive offensive line, right? Yeah, and a massive offensive line. I mean, the, the offense Garden City ran last year was 90% running and 10% passing. And the quarterback that they had wasn't necessarily, you know, lighting the world on fire with, with, his, with his arm. So, Jugo uh, quarterbacks are hard to find that are, like, yes, it, polished. Yes, are. I mean, the Zach Taylor type of guy <laughs> doesn't come along very often. Yeah, you, yeah. Even, even bounce back, guys that are bounce backs from Division One programs, like their guy last year was. I mean, it was not um, – yeah, it wasn't like I said. It wasn't setting the world on fire with with his uh, arm skills. So, um, yeah. So wide receiver, I think you know we could see three to four there. Um, and you know, one thing to keep an eye on too is Xavier Betts, the Rivals one hundred, uh, you know, top fifty guy out of out of Bellevue West. You know, what are his what's his academic situation like? You know, did they go ahead and recruit as if he's going to have to go JUCO route or? Or do they recruit, you know, uh, try to make sure, you know, assume that they that he's going to make it? Or you know, It'll be a Desmond Bland situation. He'll live on the commit list, I think, the whole year. Yeah. Oh, yeah, certainly. And then they'll let, they'll let it go all the way to the end. And you can't sign a guy if there's any questions. Yeah. The 25 rule, which includes grad transfers and traditional transfers, it makes every one of those 25 spots like gold. You yep. cannot blow one of them. Yeah, you can't afford to do it. Um, and so – yeah, that, so that's you know that's a situation at the wide receiver spot where um, I think you got to pay close attention to, or or at least you know factor in um, you know down the road, or or you know kind of see how Nebraska handles that. I, I agree with you; he'll live on that commitment list, but does he end up signing or not? That's that's the question. Well, they let him sign in December, and if not December, February, and if not February, May, or whenever. But yep. then you got yeah lots of other guys like Watts, and then Ty Han could be a safety or receiver. Isaac Gifford, you know, is probably being more defensive looked at. But yep. I want to ask you: We're up against it. Offensive line, are they done at tackle too? I don't believe so because I think Alex Kahn could slide in and play offensive guard. They want long levered guys. Yeah, in, they the, want big, the whole the whole deal. Yeah, they want big. They want a massive offensive line and, and full of athletes, guys that can move, and so. Uh, I think Con. I think he could end up sliding inside to guard, uh, which would open the door up for for another tackle in this class. And then tight end one, or, yeah, one tight end. I mean, it's they, it's not a big need, but especially with the transfer of Travis Vokalik, uh coming in, I, I think that if I think they're I think they're good. Bringing and Hickman's in, there. Yeah, Hickman's there. I think they're good bringing in one tight end, and maybe even more of a hybrid type of guy, like kind of like Hickman is. I, I think Hickman is. Some you know somewhat of a hybrid type. If they go and get another guy like that, I think they'd be fine with that. And your total class number, and this changes every day, every yeah. minute. Is it about twenty three, twenty four still? I think it's yeah. I think it's between twenty three and twenty five, somewhere in that range, is what I believe they'll they'll end up signing. And that's recruiting. You're never get, that's going to change every minute, depending yeah. on who the guy is. Yeah, pegging it down to to an absolute number at this point, you know, halfway. I mean, we're we're pretty much halfway to signing day, or to you know to February. Uh, pe- pegging that down to an absolute number right now is like Sean Watson impossible. years ago told me this when I asked him that question years ago he goes Sean it's liquid yeah it, it literally changes by the day it, and so yeah and the closer you get to it it's changing by the hour sometimes so yeah. well lots to keep track of and we'll get a better look at the defensive board next week from Nate as we kind of sit here on a break with the recruiting cycle but thanks again here for joining us this week here as this wraps up another edition of the Husker Online Show Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.